Welcome to the program. I'm Jeff Shackman. People used to joke that the one subject that everybody talked about was the weather. Today, it may very well be the subject of education. Listen at school events, at the grocery store, at sporting events, everywhere there are parents and children. Education is often topic one. Along with that conversation are lots of buzzwords, opinions, traditional talk, and the desire for change. My guest today, Dr. Tom Markham, is at the cutting edge of that change. In a world of work in which people like Futurist and Wired Magazine founder Kevin Kelly say that today's employers have to train for skills but hire for attitude, clearly we have to rethink what education is all about in the 21st century. And few are doing that more than Dr. Tom Markham. Tom is the president of PBL Global. He's a psychologist, author, speaker, educator, and internationally recognized consultant to schools focused on project-based learning. 21st. Hey, my pleasure, Jeff. Looking forward to it. It's great to have you here. One of the things about project-based learning today is that there are so many misunderstandings about it. It's one of those phrases that gets tossed around a lot. People think they understand it, but it is plagued by a certain amount of misunderstanding. Talk a little bit about that first. What is at the core of this? Well, the, the, re, the misunderstanding, I think, stems from the fact that many teachers, many parents have gone through what they consider to be projects in school. And what that meant uh, in back in the day, as they say, was that you got out of your seat, you did something hands-on, it was fun, it was engaging, maybe you created a poster or something similar, and uh, you had maybe two to three weeks to do this project, and it was fun. Uh, unfortunately, uh, at the end of the project, oftentimes teachers didn't really know what came out of it, what students actually learned. Uh, at the elementary grades, unfortunately, a lot of the parents did the projects and not the students. So it was um, a system that got kids out of their seat, but it wasn't a very effective system for actually teaching kids uh, what I would call essential skills and practices for uh, success and work today. So PBL, or project-based learning, is really uh, several orders of magnitude beyond that. It's doing projects, but it's doing them informed with a set of best practices that uh, include things like having a driving question or a problem statement that organizes the project effort, uh, having a very clear set of assessment practices so you can see what students learned in terms of content and most important in terms of skills and also, as you mentioned at the top of the show, in terms of attitude. So you can begin to measure those things that come out of the project process and using a set of best practices that are pretty well developed now over the last five years and stemming from many schools that are now doing project-based learning effectively. Now you have a, a solid method for designing projects, which we call project-based learning. Mm -hmm. And really, it seems to operate on two levels. One is the basic knowledge that comes from, from doing the project and the inquiry that's involved, but also a deeper learning that's part of it. Talk about that aspect of it. Well, that's, a, that's a, I think, the most interesting aspect of project-based learning myself. So, yes, you're measuring, uh, for example, content acquisition, how much you know about particular standards and so forth. And you are then branching out into measuring uh, 
probably the key skills, particularly like communication and collaboration, your ability to work in a team, your ability to facilitate a small group discussion and so forth, which are really fundamental job skills these days. But then the deeper aspect that you get at that you're referring to is as as you go through a process of solving a complex problem or answering an open-ended driving question, you're really forced to go deeper in terms of your ability to do research, to uncover evidence, to draw conclusions, and to offer some solutions to uh, the question or problem that you're dealing with. And in that process, you get a lot of really deep learning. And as I often say, when it's done well, you actually see shifts in how students behave and look. I, I call it brightness. There's not a really good educational term for it, but What you see is young people going through a process of exploration, discovery, and mastery that leads to, I I don't know, just to me, what I see is kids doing things we don't normally see them doing in school in very powerful, positive ways. PBL has been around for a while, and at the same time, other things in education have changed, a sense of collaboration, the sense of what's important within the strategic framework of schools. Talk a little bit about how PBL has moved forward to keep pace and to shift given these other changes that have taken place. Yeah, that's uh, that's a really great uh, question because it is definitely evolving. Uh, Probably 15 years ago when PBL just started to get some traction in schools and people were starting to do project-based learning, uh, it was uh, it was delivered in a way that teachers would normally do out of their 180 days roughly that they have to teach. They would do regular traditional instruction for much of that time and then that would be punctuated by two to three weeks of project time, maybe two to three times during the school year. Now we've moved into uh, a different era, really, where, number one, inquiry, asking questions, problem solving, critical thinking, uh, and so forth is on everyone's mind and actually has begun to infuse a lot of the curriculum that we have that would might be non-project based, if you, if you, if you, if you can understand that. Mm-hmm. So a lot of our curriculum actually is pretty active. And now project-based learning, I would say, is part of the spectrum of problem solving in which you go deep for two to three weeks and really look at an important question and the kids go do into the, do drop into this deeper learning process. Uh, so it's not quite as, uh, it's a little bit different. It's not so much traditional versus PBL. It's PBL in the spectrum of what I would call good solid inquiry, which is pretty much on teachers' minds these days. Uh, a lot of folks will say, for example, that in terms of the common core state standards, you cannot really address those standards without doing problem solving, teamwork, collaboration, discussion, communication. And those are all things that PBL really excels at. And it really gives you an opportunity to organize that in a powerful way. And as I mentioned earlier, to assess. So in PBL, if you're going to teach collaboration or teamwork, you are going to have some sort of performance rubric to assess that against. You want to know if the team works any good, not that the kids are just sitting around a table talking. So PBL is really good at that. And as a philosophy of teaching and learning, it can incorporate much of this other, many of these other trends that are going on in education, including, for example, personalization, differentiation. These are also uh, 
movements in education, PBL absorbs those very well. Part of that is because it's also about the skills involved in the inquiry as well as just the content of the project. Yeah, actually, I think it's, uh, and I often say this to my audiences, project-based learning is actually a method for teaching skills, not a method for primarily teaching content. Now, when I say that to audiences sometimes, what they hear is, well, that means it doesn't teach any content, which is, is not true. It can be terrific at teaching you how to be a historian or how to think like a scientist in scientific terms or historical terms or whatever subject that you're teaching through PBL. But it is primarily a process of learning in which you are applying skills. You're going through a process of evaluating a question, doing some research, sharing some ideas, thoughts, questions, answers, assembling that into a body of evidence that says, this is how we're going to answer this question based on the research we've done. So it's very much a a skillful process that highlights skills, which is why in project-based learning, you have to grade skills as well as content after after the project is completed. And looking at it in that kind of holistic way, one of the things that you talk about is that it's important to really understand project-based learning for what it really is and not try and tack it on or just attach it on to other things that are going on in the school? Yeah, fortunately, um, project-based learning practitioners are moving away from that. But again, probably 10 years ago, there was a, or five years ago, there was a tendency to teach in the traditional way and then tack these projects on at the end uh, what we in the field call uh, using PBL as the dessert rather than the main course. So it's really not something that you add on to uh, sort of make kids feel good. Or uh, I've seen it done, for example, uh, well, we just finished the testing in April, so now we can do some projects. That's not what you're trying to do in PBL. You are teaching the curriculum through projects and teaching your standards through projects. Talk about the importance of teamwork and collaboration within this. Well, first, uh, just to kind of uh, back it up a bit, I think you would agree that the fundamental job skill these days is collaborating in a team. If you look at any ad, almost every ad begins with, we want people who can work in a team. So my position is uh, every young person who goes through a K-12 education should exit that with significant experience in working in a team, being assessed and evaluated against teamwork skills, and having had an experience that almost makes them industry ready. And PBL is a terrific way to do that because it is most often very team dependent. That is, teams of kids are investigating, working together, uh, sharing information, developing uh, solutions and answers. And so it's very team oriented. Now, there is some, some wiggle, worm, uh, wiggle room on that uh, sometimes because some, sometimes you might have kids doing something individual in a project for sure. But uh, what I do is encourage teachers to always have students working either in a team or a cohort as they move through a project. So they're always using sort of an inter- interdependent approach to learning, which is really how the world operates these days. So all we're doing is trying to mirror what these kids are going to experience when we get out of school within a school environment. Talk a little bit about what we know, what we have learned about how the brain works and about what we've learned in the field of neuroscience that really has a nexus with all that we've been talking about. 
Uh, well, you're you're talking to a bit of an outlier here, Jeff, uh, in the sense that I think uh, we don't know exactly how the brain works. Number one, that's my opinion, <laughs> and number two, most important from my standpoint is uh, what happens in the brain is very much dependent on what happens throughout the entire body. So I'm very much of a whole child or holistic advocate. You talked at the beginning how attitudes, uh, hiring for uh, attitudes and train them labor. Well, attitudes don't come just out of the brain. Attitudes come out of a whole body experience. And um, personally, uh, a lot of my research has been on the relationship between the heart and the brain. And it's very clear to me, scientifically, that the heart has a much uh, more significant central role in formulating attitudes and emotions than the brain does. So th my approach is let's not go to brain-based learning. Let's go to whole child learning. Talk a little bit about the whole area of engagement and independence and shifting from really a teacher-centric view to a student-centric view of what goes on in the classroom. Well, I think that's, that is happening in education. It's really uh, sort of the talk of the moment, how you personalize and how you shift to more student-centered environment, which I believe is directly reflective of the fact that we have more personalized person-centered lives these days in which people have to make constant choices and operate more as independent people uh, than in, more so than in the past. So we're trying to mirror that in education. It's an interesting discussion because it brings with it uh, all sorts of issues. Well, what is the teacher role? Uh, what are teachers supposed to do? How much freedom do we give students? And it just, it becomes a, it's quite a complex discussion this moment in education. And I think we're beginning to work it out. But some teachers will hear, well, student-centered environment means turning everything over to students and having students do everything. Um, so, and some teachers see that as a loss of control and loss of direction. So my approach uh, in PBL is to not say it's student-centered or teacher-centered, but it is teacher as co-learner. We have moved into a learning community kind of a discussion now in PBL and in our classrooms in general, where there, there's a facilitator relationship between the teacher and the student, but the teacher is still the adult in the room. The teacher has more expertise than the student that has to be recognized. At the same time, the teacher has to be exquisitely sensitive to the needs of students and constantly talking, communicating, and creating that uh, high quality relationship with the students so they can understand exactly what student needs needs are and then of course give them plenty of opportunity to express that and there's a whole variety of ways that you can do that in project-based learning and what I tell teachers is you can be as student-centered as you like to be in PBL or you can be a little bit teacher-directed. It works both ways. How difficult is it in your experience to see teachers that have been doing it a more traditional way to make this shift that we've been talking about? It's a deeper shift than we think it is. And uh, it sounds easy on paper that, hey, we're not going to do lecture at the front of the room. We're not going to do stand and deliver. Now we're going to organize projects. But that high, that there's a lot of uh, details hidden in that. And how do you become a sensitive facilitator? The, movement, the moment you move from being a sage on a stage to the guide on the side, as they say, you are now in a facilitator role, which means that it requires a whole skill set in terms of connecting with kids, uh, understanding their needs, being able to 
uh, stand back a little bit when you get kids who aren't compliant or helping much and you're going to get that in education. And so it really draws upon a lot of personal qualities in teachers that some teachers are prepared for and some aren't. There's also a sort of a challenge here in trying to figure out as we move forward in this 21st century and we're approaching 17% of it is done or 16%, uh, what's the role of knowledge? What's the role of the things that we traditionally associate with learning in school? We know that a portion of that information, a pretty good sized portion of that information can come directly through your device and you can dial up answers in a matter of seconds. But then the question comes, what do you need to know in order to be able to find out what you don't know? That is, I would say, the big elephant in the room as far as our education system because nobody knows the answer to that question. The transition to the information age and the technological age has just been so quick that we're, we're still struggling with that. We just don't know. Now, schools are conservative institutions. They teach a lot more in standards than kids actually really need to know these days. So the standards are still kind of, a, I would say, resonant with the past and not the future. And in the future, I would imagine our standards are going to become much more simplified and much more oriented towards the process of learning rather than the actual facts that you're retaining. Of course, that's the key balance because there's this question, even within the context of learners trying to develop critical thinking skills, how much do you have to know in order to think? How much do you, how much knowledge do you have to have in order to do the thinking and the analyzing? Yeah, exactly. And uh, again, I would say, I, I don't think anybody has a really great answer to that right now. Uh, we can sort of identify things that you don't need to keep in your head because it's pretty clearly available on your phone. On the other hand, it starts, as soon as you start to move into concepts and thoughtful processes, you, know, you do require information and you do require a core vocabulary, what I call the vocabulary, the discipline, and there's things that are required. So in project-based learning, uh, I, I'm fairly, I take myself a fairly practical approach to this. And I say to teachers, when you're designing a project, you may be teaching all sorts of skills. You may be doing some really great, uh, exhibition work where the kids are, are out of the classroom presenting their ideas, presenting their products, and that's all great. It tends to really be highly engaging for kids, but don't forget to teach the fundamentals of your discipline. So that's important too, and that's sort of what teachers have to learn is to sort of is to balance out that. There's almost a strategic aspect to the whole process. Yeah, uh, you know, it's uh, that's another interesting one. Yeah, so talking about uh, uh, teachers and what's required to make the shift to PBL. I mentioned the co-learner. This is inquiry, questioning, modeling an attitude of openness, uh, setting up your classroom so that questions are more important than all the answers the teacher provides. So that's part of it. And then you have this coaching role with the skillfulness and you have the facilitation role with uh, attitudes because you're really a mentor at that point a mentor implying that you have a strong personal relationship with kids you have a culture of care in your classroom you may you have a safe feeling in your classroom so the kids express themselves and grow emotionally but the fourth role really is the strategic role of thinking of yourself as a designer of, of the learning experiences so you're a designer of projects when you design a project you're you you are acting as teacher's designer 
And then thinking about, I really try to get teachers to go beyond even the one project and have groups of teachers collaborate and think about, well, how does this fit into our school as a whole? For example, what are, what are our ninth graders going to get in terms of projects by the time they have leave school in June? Who's going to do what project? So it requires, PBL tends to force collaboration among teachers, and it does force a more strategic approach to education in general, rather than I'm going to take five classes this year, five classes next year, et cetera. We've talked about the teachers and we've talked about the learners. Talk a little bit about the role of parents in this paradigm. <laughs> well, the role of parents is uh, sort of the, the knife's edge in a way. So uh, most parents have not experienced project-based learning. And so they have to be educated about what PBL is and what it can do. They have a natural and probably healthy skepticism about uh, educational fads, and sometimes they see PBL as a fad, and they are worried that students, their, their children, will not come out with the core knowledge necessary for them to do well on SATs, ACTs, GPA, and get into the right colleges. So there is an inherent conservatism on the part of parents, which is understandable. And what you have to do is work to overcome that by educating the parents, because actually, Good PBL teachers are way ahead of the parent body these days. They, they're just much more tuned in to what works in education than parents tend to be. So you have to work with parents to educate them, and there are a number of ways that teachers can do that through showcasing PBL in the evening so parents see the results, and when they see good results, they're immediately sold and become converts. Another way to do it is to stress to parents, uh, well, what I do sometimes is I say to parents, uh, well, what kinds of skills are you using in your job? Just go to catalog them as you go through your day. Just keep track. Well, it's always collaboration, facilitation, communication, all the skills that uh, are taught in PBL. And just point out, well, wouldn't it be great if kids learned that before they uh, went to work? Because that is the big complaint of industry. The kids have not learned these skills when they come into work, even though they might have really nice college degrees and so forth. They really aren't work ready. So you point out to parents, PBL is a way to get your kids work ready. And I think that's really an, an area of PBL that's going to grow. Career preparation, workforce preparation, that kind of thing. What has to happen, do you think, in the realm of public policy in order to further move this along? <laughs> well, I was in touch with some people uh, from China uh, several months ago. And uh, the Chinese ministry has mandated project-based learning in all of their primary schools. Now, it's not the best system. They only do it like 30 minutes a day, five days a week. But at least they recognize the importance of it. And the person I was talking to said, well, what is the position of the U.S. Department of Education on project-based learning? And as far as I can tell, there is none. We have no leadership from the top on this. Certain states have been pushing a bit, but even states don't push on this in general. So we really don't have leadership from the top on project-based learning. We do have 21st century skills discussion, but nobody tells you exactly how to do it. And you really can't learn 21st century skills without doing it. It's sort of like uh, teaching a 16-year-old to drive a car by giving them, giving them the DMV manual and saying, learn how to drive a car. Well, that doesn't work. You got to drive. So that's what PBL can do. And uh, we do not have leadership from the top. I would say what PBL is being driven by 
uh, ferment at the bottom. Expand on that a little bit. Well, you just have, um, uh, 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 first of all, I, I want to say we got a lot of great teachers uh, in this country, and a lot of them recognize the need, and there is movement, and the movement is beginning to coalesce, and, uh, and their uh, best practices. I'll give you an example. It's kind of surprising. Twitter, the number one user of Twitter are educators. They are sharing ideas constantly on this, and this ferment is happening uh, just, it's just growing from change is coming from, from, from the bottom up, not from the top down. As educators say, we've got to do something different. Almost every teacher you talk to will say traditional education and testing is not adequate. They're just not, they don't believe it and they've seen it. It doesn't work. So they're really looking to do something different. And PBL is really taking off in terms, I mean, the last 18 months to 24 months, particularly, it's just rocketing as people see that this is the way to organize their instruction. And can that change continue and can it expand in scale moving from the bottom up? Or is it going to take top down at some point? Well, that's a question you could ask about any aspect of our global world today. Uh, how much is change going to come from the bottom and be scalable or how much is it going to be thwarted? I don't really have an answer to that, Jeff, but I will tell you that the scale of change in education is profound. Um, but we do have a clash of beliefs going on as we do in so many other areas of our, our world. And there is still a lot of uh, loyalty to the old system. And, but yet there is tremendous, as they say, ferment about developing a new system. So I guess the best answer is we shall see. <laughs> Dr. Tom Markham, I thank you so much for spending time with us today. Hey, my pleasure, Jeff. I always like the opportunity to talk about PBL, and thank you for great questions. Thank you.